The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, Episode 260. Welcome to The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, where we talk about applying high leverage psychology in your business and life. I'm your host, Dr. Yishai Barkadari, licensed psychologist, private practice owner, speaker, executive coach, and consultant. I became a psychologist to learn how to leverage psychology and help others do the same. For over a decade, I've been tracking how psychology gets in the way of smart and results-driven people. For years, I've developed frameworks and tools to help them leverage psychology instead to launch themselves forward. It's my mission to share my hard-earned lessons with you so you can launch yourself forward too. I can't wait to talk high leverage psychology with you so you can learn to take higher leverage action today. Hey there. This week, I'm switching it up from my usual format. Back in April, I was on a burnout panel and it was so value-packed that I just had to share it. I'm chunking it down to more bite-sized episodes, so today, you'll hear part two. If you didn't listen to part one yet, I highly recommend you give it a listen. Whether or not you do, you'll pick up a lot of golden nuggets. FYI, you'll hear Tracy Cherpesky and Justin Maxwell join me in the conversation. Tracy organized, hosted, and moderated our panel. She's a business coach for established healthcare practice owners who helps them go from success with overwhelm to success with freedom, all without sacrificing personal, professional, or financial growth and joy. Justin, my co-panelist, is a tax and wealth strategist who helps medical professional business owners plug money leaks, become more efficient with their earned money, and create the certainty needed to live a big life. Part two is where we get into awareness, identity, and the snowball effect that creates burnout. We even get into how you can leverage your awareness of burnout to create more sustainability and joy in your life. Ready, set, let's go. Those are the two main areas that I typically see is the societal influence and then this drive that, well, maybe money will solve the problem and make me feel better, but it doesn't, but they just keep going for more and more money. Either that's either through investing or just spending way more time at work. Mm -hmm. I love the point you're making, Justin. And one thing that I do see in my practice a lot, because I work with driven professionals, entrepreneurs, business owners, is that they get caught up in this idea that we have in our society, that we get these messages all the time, that when you have more money, it solves a lot of problems. And To be fair, there are many challenges or issues that having more money can help or address or solve. However, quality relationships, meeting all of our needs, it's not one of them. These are things that, and as you're saying, I see this all the time, people who are making or own, you know, eight, nine plus 10 plus figure businesses, and they really still struggle in a profound and fundamental way with their own emotions, with feeling happy. They keep getting messages, I'm supposed to feel happy without understanding what that means, which is one of the things that when I work with clients, I actually really help them break down and understand logically and then work their way into. And it's interesting the way that you highlighted, Justin, is that it comes from two angles. One is externally, 
and not just the messages that we hear, but then when someone who's making it has made a great deal of success, has made a lot of money, has accumulated a lot of wealth, when they're sharing or talking about their challenges emotionally in their relationships, what they experience very often from the people around them is those things get dismissed as if money's supposed to make it all better or erase it, or as if they can't or shouldn't have those problems because of the money that they have. And then of course, you know, they're sitting in my office and really struggling with that and like struggling with how can I be friends with these people? Or I don't really feel like anybody gets me. And then really struggling with what is this all supposed to be? And how do I, like, how am I supposed to understand life? You know, what am I supposed to be doing here? And sometimes before they come into my office, they're in that cycle, Justin, just as you were saying, where they double down on work. They double down on their work identity. They double down on making more money or wealth as if what other people are telling them and what they have seen and heard throughout so much of their life is true that if you just make more money, it's going to solve your problems. If you just focus on this one thing, and this is where the fixation really gets in the way of being able to see, and people talk about like a well-rounded or balanced life. I actually don't think that it needs to look that way. It's really about understanding your own needs and being attuned to what that is and creating your personal mix. It's like a recipe. It's got to be a personal recipe. You got to taste it as delicious. It doesn't matter if someone else really likes something. You got to really like the recipe that makes up your life. And so that's something that I definitely work with my clients on. I just love the way that you framed it and phrased it. And I certainly see that all the time. Yeah. Something that's popped in my head as well, just to kind of keep this conversation going, because I really have liked what you said there, is... Even this is like even at a governmental level, because you have the politicians telling people that if you make X amount of dollars, all your problems are solved. Like that's what that's not that's what they're saying, but that's what it feels like. Like you need to be taxed more. You need to have all these things. And that's to I think to the society that drives the narrative that, oh, the people that make a lot of money already have all the issues and solved and we don't need to worry about them anymore. So they hear that message, too. I think we hear that message internally as you are making a lot of money and you reach the apex. And it's conflicting because you're like, I don't have my problem solved. I've just found a way to deliver value that's gotten me a high amount of... I've solved the money problem, but I haven't solved all these other problems. So just because I solved the money problem doesn't mean I've solved everything else. And then the other thing that popped in my head as you're saying is, I think oftentimes there's this idea that we're racing to something. So we we're racing to age 65 because that's like the artificial time frame in our life. And so if people feel like they're behind or like, I'm not going to reach retirement, they have to work harder to get there. But if you change the mindset to, I have a lifetime and retirement really isn't something, I have a skill here that I can, most medical practitioners aren't physically exerting a lot of energy. So they can work for a long period of time, deep into their livelihood. If they see it more as I have a lifetime to accomplish this and there is no race, there is no end goal. It's just me living my life in an enjoyable manner that similar to the recipe you described that is a recipe for that makes me feel fulfilled. I don't have to feel pressured to reach any set mark by society or set deadline. It's just me enjoying delivering value in my practice, connecting with my family versus racing to some arbitrary set goal that isn't really real. You both raised some really important points. And I think a big takeaway that I'm hearing from the two of you is really it's the thing that I say a lot too, right? Slow down, assess and get super clear about what's most important to you. Connect with your values. Look at what's, you know, Yisha, I love that you pointed out, like it doesn't have to necessarily be a balance or I like the word harmony, right? It needs to feel harmonious and you don't need 18 notes to have harmony. You only really only need two, right? So, you know, if you can figure out what is most important to you, 
then life becomes more enjoyable and you can start to chip away at the things that are draining your energy. I think this is a great sequitur actually to another question that I have, which is, you know, now that we've looked at this 12 stages of burnout or the burnout progression, how do you personally recognize when you are starting to enter into burnout? I think for me, because I really like, I can get fixated on working. Like I really like working and I can really get sucked in to work. And so something that I've noticed is when I finish my day, if I then keep like checking emails or keep checking my phone after dinner, before dinner, that's a sign that I'm not letting go of work. So for me, because I do get sucked into fixation really easily, um, just because I really enjoy work and I find it easy to do and I find joy in it. So for me, that's the step that I have to like really put barriers and boundaries around is I have a clear cutoff of work and everything else is focused on being intentional with my family and with my children. And if I don't do that, then if I break those boundaries, then that's where I I know there's some issues going on or I'm starting down a path I shouldn't. Yeah. Similarly to what you're saying, Justin, I really love the work that I do and I'm really passionate about it and I'm constantly thinking about it. And so And I think it's very common for people who are really driven and who really love the work that they do and who are really passionate about it. And so one of the things that I've come to realize is in a moment, sometimes I notice it internally. Sometimes I'm getting a piece of feedback or someone's making a comment to me. When I notice I'm actually shifting priorities or deprioritizing other aspects of my life, whether that's family or a hobby that I like, or even something as simple as like working out or sleep. It's like, oh, I'm thinking to myself, it's nine o'clock. Let me just like watch one more YouTube video about how to push my practice forward. (laughs) Or let me think or plan a little bit more, not just about what I'm doing tomorrow, which is something I like to do as part of my wind down in the evening. But like, let me not just think about tomorrow. Let me plan out my next, you know, two weeks, three weeks, six months. Let me think where I want to be like two years from now, two decades from now. And when I notice that I'm doing that in a way that's actually pulling me away from other parts of my life that are really nourishing, that are really fulfilling, And when I'm doing that, especially for more than a couple of days or weeks at a time. So I think that there, I like this. I heard this once. I love the concept of we are sometimes people, or in other words, we have seasons. And there are moments or times where it is really useful to say, I'm going to take a few days and I'm really going to think intentionally and plan my next two months, two quarters, two years, or even two decades. You know, it's great to have that if it's happening in a persistent way or in a not organized way. And if it doesn't have the kind of bookends around it. So once I start to notice that it's bleeding out, and to me, one of the obvious ways that that shows up is sleeping. If I'm having trouble getting myself to bed, because fortunately I have an easier time falling asleep, but sometimes even still I'll go to bed and my brain's just going, going, going on something work-related. You know, it's a moment where I'm like, oh, I might need to slow myself down to the commentaries that you were saying. This might be a moment to recognize that there's a part of me that's getting fixated in a way that could push myself over or into uh, burnout. And, you know, a piece of that that I think is really relevant is I think that we are constantly getting messages. Our emotions are giving us messages. And oftentimes we shoot the messenger. We try to push the emotion away or think the emotion's bad. I'm feeling stressed or I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling run down instead of saying, oh, it's here to deliver a really important message, which is there's something here that's really important or going on, like really relevant to you that's going on. Sometimes that looks like, oh, I have this moment where I miss my family or a moment where I feel guilty or regretful about 
I was actually tuned out because I was thinking about something work-related when I'm sitting with my daughter to eat dinner and slowing down and recognizing that, oh, these are messengers. They're here to tell me something. What does that guilt or that remorse tell me? Oh, it's really important to me to be present with my family. And if I don't listen to that or reject it, I'm actually moving into that avoidance phase, into all of those things. And, And it can lead to all of those aspects or elements, the stages of burnout, that if I continue to ignore it, end up potentially leading to a a total or full collapse. And that if you think about it, yeah, if I don't listen to those messages, and if I don't take something valuable out of them and make adjustments to my behaviors, the way that I'm approaching things, then I could just keep going on that path. And that will likely lead me to feeling more empty and not engaging in parts of my life that are really fulfilling to me. You both touched on some strategies a little bit, but I'd like to dive a little bit deeper with specific strategies for that either you personally have found useful or that you recommend to your clients to come back from if they're tipping into the later or any stages really of burnout that get them on that slope or to avoid altogether. So tips and strategies. A few things that I like to do is number one for myself is... I like to always have some trip or definite vacation that my wife or my children and I, or it doesn't have to be like a trip where we're leaving, but some sort of time frame where I'm not, where I'm going to be spending time with them on the calendar. So it's, I'm looking forward to it. It's already planned. I know that this is a good break time and it's happening in two months, three months down the road. And it comes in those type of cycles where it's purposely breaking up whether it's three days off or a week off, but it's a purposeful break, then it's anticipated. It's going to be fun for me. I know that my children are excited about it. I know that my wife is excited about it. So it keeps this outside of work thing really on the schedule and on my mind and in my life where I know a break is coming in it's scheduled ahead. The other one that I think for me, just because I'm on the money side of things is, so you're, you're making all this money But oftentimes, even when you make a lot of money, if your expenses are still high, like it feels like you're not, like you still feel like I don't have a lot of saved here. There's not a lot of buffer. There's not a lot of certainty. So if you can find ways to create automations in the way that you're saving money, if you can find ways to save taxes, if you can find ways just to be more efficient with your money, you're going to, specifically with high income earners, you're going to find 20, 30, hundreds of thousands of dollars that is leaving you unnecessarily that can stay with you can be set aside for specifically for certainty and for i know that i'm going to survive if anything goes wrong and that can provide the message to our brain that it's okay to shut off because i don't have to keep making more money because i have something that's building here that i've already earned it's mine and i've captured it and kept it so i don't have to constantly be grinding for more and more and more because this financial piece is a part of all of this If you haven't been saving anything and you don't have the money, you do have to go to work again and you do have to go again. But if you can start to create a life where it's work optional, and obviously that takes time, but even if in the beginning stages of setting aside a certainty savings fund where there's uh, dollars available that I know that I could take off a day or two and not die, I could not lose my practice, not lose my family, not have my house taken away from me, that provides a level of certainty that drives the ability to take time off. I can schedule something on the future and not worry about not working because I have this financial stability. But if you don't have that, and if you haven't set those automations or learn to save taxes or learn to be more efficient, then it's just this constant drive to keep going, 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 because you do 
have to because you probably have bought a house that's really expensive and you probably have a car that's really expensive. And so you have all these expenses that you drive you to work more and that just plays into everything that we're talking about. So those are the two things for me that could be helpful to people. I love what you're saying. I actually, a personal story that really resonates with that is I just came back from two weeks of vacation and it's the first two-week vacation I've taken in I don't even know how long. And certainly in at least a couple of years that I've taken a vacation that was more than a couple of days and not for a holiday or something. And one of the things that I realized, especially after starting and having my own practice, is unless and until really I had intentionally set aside, here's a certain amount of money that I know that I make generally over a period of two weeks. Now that I have that money, I could take two weeks off and it will slot right in there. And so I don't need to think or worry about taking two weeks off because I've set aside essentially the like pay myself for those two weeks that I'm off already. Until I'd done that, I didn't feel comfortable. And it was really, really hard for me to even conceive of, oh my gosh, I'm going to take time off. And, you know, when you compound that with how much I love working, you know, and slight story related to that, I did a little bit of work at the beginning and at the end of my vacation. I just really loved it. And I was very intentional about at least the middle, the most of the middle portion, like the, except for the first day or two, the last day or two, to really be present and enjoy the time with family and relaxing and all of that. And so just to the point you were saying, I think it's it's really relevant. And sometimes it's a big piece of that is knowing your numbers, knowing your benchmarks. And I think that brings me to my biggest tip. My first tip is awareness is number one. You need to have clarity and you need to be able to recognize what are the things that are really essential to me. And then start asking yourself, how do I create those things? How do I create room for those things? And how do I adapt or how do I make sure that I'm being responsive to them? So the one end that we were, that you were just talking about, Justin, and that I was sharing my own story about is on a kind of financial and kind of personal level. And then on an internal level, a piece of that is really, and I mentioned this before, is being attuned to your emotions and what they're telling you, because emotions are not random. Something that I often talk about is that people don't generally feel angry when they get a gift that's the thing they've been dreaming of for weeks or months or years. They feel happy or excited or elated or overjoyed and sometimes overwhelmed. And people generally don't feel happy when someone disrespects them. They'll feel angry. And they generally don't feel happy when they're in danger. They feel fear. Our emotions are not random. And the way that I understand that is emotions are there to give us messages and to help us adapt our behaviors, to make changes in context of this new information or new understanding of what I need or what's going on in my environment or in my life and what might happen in the future. And so... A piece of that for me, and this is something I work with my clients on all the time, whether that's coaching or in therapy, is being able to become more attuned to and responsive to when your emotions show up. Because if you don't, then those emotions, the analogy I like to use is they're kind of like a firefighter where they come knocking because there's smoke pouring out of the window because there's some sign or signal that something may happen or is happening that could be really problematic or blow up in your face. and they're not just going to go away when you're ignoring them. What they do is they actually get bigger and bigger and they bust down the door. And an alternative way of approaching that is just open the door when they come knocking. Don't make them come pounding, grab the axe, the battering ram, and and you know, and smash your door in. Learn how to and, and build a relationship with them where you invite them in and you understand them better and you respond to them when they show up. And what I found and what my clients have found 
like almost 100% of the time, 95, 99% of the time is that it's so powerful. It turns something that feels like a liability, the stress, the anxiety, the overwhelm. It turns all of that from being this uncomfortable, challenging, difficult, unhelpful experience into something you can actually leverage and something that's really useful. So in terms of, I think that awareness and being attuned to the signals, especially along the way, and the earlier you can be attuned to them, the earlier and more quickly you can notice them, the more practice you get at that, the more you'll be primed and able to effectively prevent or manage or really respond to the burnout as it's trying to send you these messages. Because I look at the 12 stages and I'm like, there's 11 stages of messages that your brain is giving you. And then there's one stage where it's like, well, I've spent 11 11 stages and lots of time trying to give you these messages and you're refusing to get them. We're just going to bring you to your knees now. And you're going to have to get the message. That's that's the battering ram. The analogy of the firefighters and the battering ram, that's going to (laughs) stick. That's really going to stick and give us something to think about. And I think hearing you frame it that way, Yishai, that those first 11 stages are the messengers. They're the firefighters knocking on the door. That sounds like, tells me that we could all slow down and pay attention and get in touch with our thoughts and our feelings and get curious about them so that we don't get to the point where we've been brought to our knees. Yeah, it was really powerful. So speaking of coming to our knees, what if it does get to that point. Let's say our practice owners are just sort of floating along and they're doing their thing and they've got all these things that they haven't paid attention to that drive, 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 drive. And they do get to that point of stage 12, the burnout syndrome, and they've been brought to their knees. What are some of the potential consequences for them business-wise and also just as a human being? I think uh, on my side, what I see, the consequences that typically happen are They've abandoned their family sometimes at this point. So they've lost the relationship with their significant other. They've lost the relationship with their children. And so there's a potential familial loss there of you're going to have to do a lot of healing and repair to fix that, which is possible. Um, There's people I know that have gone through that. And I know people that can help fix that as well that have reestablished those bonds. But to me, that's one. Another one is... There's usually addictions that pop up here in the later stages that you're going to have to overcome. And that's a a journey in and of itself. And then on the business side, like if you do get to the point where you're done, like you could realistically not want or even have a desire to go back to your practice and you have to switch careers and start over with something else. And so those are three losses that I see as significant. But the nice thing is, is all three can be overcome. It's just that you've gotten to the point of not fixing it before. So you're going to have to do some really heavy work to fix them on the backside. Yeah, I love that. And I've certainly seen all of those. As you're speaking, Justin, the image that came to mind is it's kind of like a boulder rolling downhill. The longer and the more that it goes, the harder it is to stop and the more damage it can cause. And it doesn't mean that it's all irreversible. It does mean that there's an accumulation of time, energy, effort, work that's going to be necessary in order to even have a chance of repairing those things. And sometimes they can be repaired and other times it reaches a breaking point and it's not possible. So on the kind of, we'll say lighter side, I've seen everything from more irritability, snapping, treating staff and patients with less care, treating family and friends in ways that are, you know, kind of create much more conflict or more distance 
And that can be kind of on the quote unquote lighter side, all the way to really losing friends, losing family, estrangement I've certainly seen as well, which is really unfortunate. And again, not that it can't be overcome. It's just that ball as it rolls downhill will just continue to grow in momentum and in and then the damage that it's causing along the way. And, you know, in extreme cases, I've certainly even encountered people who start to have thoughts of, is this a life worth living? And while in my practice, I don't work with people who are like actively suicidal, I certainly have worked with people who don't want to die, but their life as it is needs to end. In other words, specifically, they need so much change. The way that they're currently living is not only not sustainable, it's so unfulfilling that that particular way of living needs to die and they need to create or reform a new way of living. And so, you know, there's so many deep, deep consequences. And I mean, even just what I'm talking about there is like in a deeper kind of form of depression. And again, I've seen everything in between. I mean, there's so much. And, it, and again, it just accumulates and it hits all these different areas and it starts to spread. I've seen it become much more pervasive or spread to other parts of life. So even if someone is in their work, they're doing pretty well, but then their relationships or in their personal life or in their own internal personal fulfillment, those pieces start to accumulate. They lose their hobbies. They lose you know connection with people that they used to do things, whether it's bike riding or kayaking or whatever it is they really love to do. And then it becomes really hard to rebuild those things. And sometimes they lose a piece or pieces or sense of themselves. And then there's a, this whole process of needing or wanting to rebuild that. And that is a lot of work. You know, an analogy that I like to use, I'm a really nerdy guy, so I use a lot of physics analogies. One of them is entropy. There's this like idea that entropy just increases over time, chaos increases over time. And another way of framing that is entropy is just the result of small efforts that are not exerted to maintain order, or in this case, to maintain fulfillment. Thanks for listening. If you learned something valuable today, take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It helps grow the show and gives more smart, high-performing, results-driven people like you the ability to learn and apply high-leverage psychology to your business and life. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast is produced by Dr. Yishai and PodTech. Music by www.purple-planet.com. Dr. Yishai is a psychologist, but not your psychologist. The conversations and content of this podcast do not contain or create any psychology practice, diagnosis, or therapist-patient relationship with the guest or listener. The information contained in this publication is for general informational purposes only and shall not be relied on or construed as coaching advice or therapy. So do your own research before using anything from this podcast. Thanks again for listening. I hope today's episode fulfilled my mission to help you leverage psychology better in your business and life.